This is Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Joining us for Nightlife News Breakdown is the Senior Economics Correspondent for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, Shane Wright. Shane, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Good evening and thank you for having me, Philip. It's a pleasure. The Prime Minister, Mr Albanese, is making his first address to the year to the National Press Club of Australia tomorrow. Uh, there'll be a big focus on national security. Of course, this comes at a time when the US President's made this surprise visit to Kiev this week. And also Vladimir Putin tonight, our time, has been delivering a speech uh, to members of both houses of the Russian Parliament in Moscow and other Russian elites, also on the theme of national security. And his analysis of the Russian military and international situation this is uh, just days before the war that the Russians started with Ukraine marks its first bloody year. So um, it's it's a, the number one issue, at least externally for Australia, isn't it? It certainly is uh, closely tied to China, but uh, they, they are related as well. Um, it's not just the fact that we've got a European land war going on, but it's also the economic repercussions flowing from that. So... Uh, from national security to economic security, a lot is flowing out of uh, Russia and Ukraine. Mm. Yeah, the the government, of course, received this defence review this week. I mean, it was hand. This is the review of, um, of that was handed by uh, the the two uh, chief, the chief of air force, Angus Houston, of course, and Stephen Smith, the former defence minister, who reviewed Australia's defence capability and handed it to the government this week. We don't. Well, we don't know what's in it exactly. <laughs> but, no, we don't. We, but, we but, every, don't yeah. but everybody seems to have a view about it already. Yeah, and um, the Prime Minister is going to give some insight into that in his speech uh, tomorrow, um, and he'll there'll be a commitment there to actually re- release a redacted version of it uh, well before the budget hmm. because uh, apart from... There's the obvious aspects around, say, the AUKUS agreement um, that is pivotal to the to this uh, to, to where Australia and def- its defence systems are going to be into the future. There's the the, the huge financial aspects to that, um, which no, like the previous government hadn't outlined how we're going to pay for, say, up to ten nuclear powered submarines or how we're going to man them. Uh, there's one big issue. Um, the, the gap that we've got in, in our submarine fleet, that's another issue. Um, and then dealing with uh, ongoing uh, pressures across the entire defence system and whether we have to change it to deal with uh, the geopolitical tensions across uh, our neck of the woods. Yeah, I mean, critics have said, look, you know, the trouble with this, I mean, it's it, acknowledging that this review is probably one of the most important re- defence reviews that any Australian government has has received in in modern times, uh, at least possibly since the late sixties, that that it it really seems to be just putting the rubber stamp on decisions that have already been made. The confirmation of the AUKUS agreement over nuclear powered submarines, for example, which critics say, look, hasn't received that much critical analysis. We just have seen the opportunity and are running along with it. Is that fair? Do you think? Oh, look, you, they, the current government slightly played into it because of where the previous government had gone hmm. and, and, and the, the huge diplomatic problems 
that that cause, particularly with France. That's taken some aspect of it, but the gov- the government, no matter which government was, no matter who won the last election, they were going to run into this problem of how the hell are we going to afford all this? Yeah. Does it does it mean we actually like it? it by spending so much in nuclear submarines, for instance, doesn't mean we actually have to wind back expenditure in another in other areas. Like, yes, uh, the Ukraine, um, we are looking at a, a lot of tank warfare, but is that where Australia will be? We haven't sent tanks, for instance, to Ukraine. We've sent Bushmasters. Um, and the whole aspect around drones and the heavy use of those in Ukraine suggests well, does that mean we have to rethink how we go about our aerial surveillance, aerial warfare? Like these are these are much bigger issues than you and I are ever going to have to contemplate. <laughs> but we have to find a way for taxpayers to afford uh, or make hard decisions about the priorities that the country makes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of a lot of the critics have said, "Well, yeah, but hang on, what, what's what, what's the threat here? What threats are we actually?" Uh, are we actually facing? And people say, oh, you know, it must be China. But no one's seriously suggesting that Australia should be at war with China. And if we and if we ever were, there'd be an uh, extremely uncertain result for us, I would think. So in essence, the government really needs to articulate here, what is Australia's defence posture here, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, and like we've seen, especially since the 80s, how that has that has modified or changed particularly from use like island defense mm. uh, uh, protecting the north where we're projecting our power um, and that a lot of that was pr- based upon the the the, uh, the attitude we had towards china not being such a major force in the 1980s, but we know that has dramatically changed. Um, and it, the posture of the Chinese Communist Party right at the moment, particularly uh, around Taiwan, South China Sea, these are issues that any government, no matter what political persuasion, they, they would have to deal with right now and then think, well, what the hell is that going to mean in the next 10, 20 years? Hmm. Should the government be actually making some sort of statement about involvement in the region. Uh, I think a lot of Australians would be alarmed to think that if there is going to be uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a war, perhaps say um, an amphibious assault on Taiwan by the China, that Australia would be involved in that. Should the government be actually making it clear to Australians what they're in for here? Um, yes and no. Um, like the ANZUS Treaty does bring obligations uh, to both the United States and to Australia, but there is also do you well ANZUS, ANZUS, right? ANZUS wouldn't apply in this situation, would it? Because Australia wouldn't be attacked. It would be no. us coming to the aid of the US deciding to support Taiwan. Nothing or to do with ANZUS. Unless, of course, there was a U.S. ship in bet- uh, in the uh, South China Sea between Taiwan, or the Taiwanese stra- Straits, and if that was attacked, that would obviously raise issues around ANZUS. Like you can, and not just ANZUS, but the, the the Western democratic world would be thinking, "Well, hold on, are we going to let an invasion take place of a democratically elected government?" That's that they are major issues that. 
have to be thought through and you actually have to prepare for. Yeah, <laughs> as I say. <laughs> what an uplifting thought that is. Thanks, Philip. <laughs> uh, yes, well, exactly. Exactly. Um, is there any more on the on the submarine uh, story, Shane? Uh, the I know British newspapers are saying that the UK will supply them. I think there's been a widespread expectation that the US Virginia-class submarine, arguably the world's, well, not even arguably, I think, demonstrably the world's currently most capable submarine, uh, was going to be the item of choice that Australia would try and buy some of these off the shelf or perhaps buy most of them and get get parts of them fitted out here. But there seems to be now some view that perhaps that's not the case, that the British acute class submarine is more likely. Is that your thought? Yeah, it's like we've seen a little bit of pressure in the United States from both major parties over there about whether the American dockyards are in a position to ramp up and continue production of of the Virginia class, uh, and then you head over to Britain, which um, given, given where the British economy is and uh, in, especially in the light of Brexit, uh, there are issues around whether this is a way for uh, Britain to develop or strengthen and continue a, a fairly key uh, industry. But I always come back to the point, apart from the cost, we have to man these things because... Australia has struggled to get full um, con- uh, full, full uh, contingents for the six Oberon class uh, submarines that we have, and they are much never smaller. never managed to put all of them no. to see at any one time. I, I always think of a, a, a friend of mine who went who I went to school with who w- always wanted to be a submariner, and then got onto one of them, and then found out he was claustrophobic. These are yeah, that meant that was the end of his uh, submariner uh, thoughts, and so it is a really difficult job. And we have to, I don't think that issue has yet come really to to focus. How the hell are we going to man these boats, mm. um, and let alone and let and then run them? These again, big issues that uh, just saying we're going to have a nuclear powered submarine fleet is one thing. Getting them out, running around, is a completely different thing. Mm, I think the other question which Australians would like to know is just exactly what are they going to do? They may well have missiles. Exactly who are they going to fire them at? You, you might ask. Well, they do. At the, like the Oberons, we know get used to listen in to uh, our friends and neighbours uh, to the north and across the uh, uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, and that's what they most of them do at the moment is listen rather than um, aim mm. their missiles. Yeah. Anyway, just back domestically, um, you've got a story about how St George Bank's done some analysis on rents. Now, the ha- there's a housing crisis generally because of the uh, l- lack of affordability of, of houses, particularly for first-time buyers. Young people generally locked out of the housing market by tax structures which favour uh, house investment and other factors as well. But this St George analysis uh, looks at how rents have risen hugely. Do we have any? Do we have a good grip on why rents have suddenly got up? Well, this has been like you've touched on some of the issues. Supply and demand at the end of the day is one of the biggest driving. It it is the biggest driving force, and Australia has for many years underbuilt, uh, particularly in the rental market. And so we've got a situation at. What a rental vacancy rate of one percent across almost every of our major capital cities, 
and you go you go to almost any other country in the world and they have vacancy rates four, five, six, seven percent. So that means you, it's very difficult to really push up rents. But at the right at the moment, and th- this actually was the focus of um, some questioning of the Reserve Bank Governor Phil Lowe last week, because the bank has always argued, oh, it's always supply and demand, supply and demand. And there was a lot of pushback saying, well, you're increasing interest rates. Landlords are facing a fairly substantial increase in their costs, partly because of the increase in these interest rates. It's being passed on in terms of higher uh, higher rents. So St George Economics team has pointed out, right, you had a 10% increase in rents last year. This year, we think it's another 11.5%. And in dollars and cents, that's about a $10 billion increase in the rents that are going to be paid by the nation's tenants, and they account for about a third of all of all people in the country. That has substantial macroeconomic ramifications, uh, which the Reserve Bank, Treasury and other boffins are trying to work out right at the moment. Yeah, I mean, is there an obvious fix here? I mean... We build more homes. Huh. <laughs> that like that it, that is one of them. But look, we have had the debate say around negative gearing, uh, the capital gains. Tax well, well, the negative gearing advocates say, oh well, if you abandon negative gearing, you, you'll get no more rental properties. Well, that argument can't be right because here we've got negative gearing in this a rental crisis. So you no, can't, you I, can't I, have it both ways, can you? No, you can't. And I, I I always maintain it's the interaction of the of negative gearing which we had for this country has had for five, oh, sorry, seven or eight decades, mm. the interaction of that with the capital gains tax concession that Peter Costello introduced as treasurer in the ni- late 1980s. And that's when the, our nation of landlords went from making money from their their, their uh, investments to deliberately losing money to gain a tax concession. Mm. That that is that is a problem. We get into what the state governments, states have been doing for a very long time uh, around planning laws. So you get into the local councils, uh, nimbies, yimbies. We get into that argument. We get into infrastructure provision. There is a is a list longer than both my arms around the factors around housing, but. At the end of the day, if you're a person looking for a place to live, that doesn't matter right at the moment. You need to find – you want a place to live in that's close to where you can get to work that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Mm. Yeah. All right. On interest rates, the RBA minutes were out today. The Reserve Bank of Australia minutes were out today, uh, revealing why they're pushing up rates. It looks almost certain that there'll be at least two more, doesn't there? Yeah. I. You'd put my- – Put your home on that, Philip. That uh, another oh. another two, if not uh, three. Uh, that's where the financial markets are pricing in the cash rate of four point one, and the financial markets have done better than the Reserve Bank in terms of predicting the path of interest rates over the last uh, eighteen months. Hmm. Uh, um, so yeah, and there was no the bank discussed whether to have a quarter or half a percentage point increase at their February seven meeting, and the the case for a half percentage point was. Reading the minutes, and in between those minutes, they looked, it looked a pretty strong argument. Hmm. Yep. All right. Okay. Shane, uh, sobering news, but uh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for going through yeah, it with us. We've gone through a war in Taiwan to uh, thumping uh, poor old renters over the head, and uh, hmm. now mortgage holders. Yes, yeah, you've cheered me up for the evening, Phil. Thanks I, I, for that. No, thank you. <laughs> All right, Shane. Thanks. Cheers. 
You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.